1: It is the Friday show, but it's only half a Friday show, but we've got a full contingent here. I've got uh, Teza Simakulwa, I've got Chris Barber, and I've got Paul De Haney uh, to work through uh, a really interesting set of five games. Uh, Tom Farhi uh, will be joining us to talk about Aston Villa, and Phil from We Are Looting Town podcast will be on as well. Uh, in fact, he won't be on as well. He'll be on now. Now is the time for Phil. From the excellent We Are Looting Town, I'm joined by Phil Macbeth. Before we get into the Friday night game, Phil, I believe you were on the marathon in January. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. Everyone we're to We are in towns doing it, raising some money. That's right. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we're we're four very unfit lads. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, we had, we had, we had a bit of an AGM um, just before Christmas, and uh, and we were like, right, who's going to do it? And uh, I I sort of put my hand up tentatively, and then Matt said that he would do it, and it it's ended up being all four of us. So we're doing it over the course of a month, doing really well.
1: So to be clear, it's not the idea... You're not doing 26 miles in a day. It's the idea that you should all going to do the 26 miles over the... Each, by the way, 26 miles each, but over the course of the month.
2: That's correct, yeah, yeah. So it's run how the month, you, though. How are you, you the course? I'm second... At the are minute, Ollie's smashing it. He's, he's on his treadmill every day. He's doing really, really well. Ian's got a bad back. Matt's oh. been ill. But
1: we're all getting there. We're all getting there. So that's the main thing. Going to get there in time. Excellent stuff. Uh, getting there, possibly. Luton Town. First and foremost, I mean, people are speaking really warmly, Phil, about Luton at this point. I think in part because... A lot of people, myself included, thought, yeah, they'll come up, they'll have a bit of a go. I've said all the way through the season, someone will get beat at Kenilworth Road who shouldn't. But on the whole, we all know the way this is going to go. We're a bit beyond that now, I think. It's not the whole, we all know the way this is going to go. For the first time, really, when you sit down and you look at the league table, maybe we don't know the way this is going to go. The big thing, I think, though, is that everyone attached to Luton is still really enjoying it. Yeah.
2: I think you're absolutely right. I, th- I think actually, um, without trying to sort of blow smoke up anyone's backside, I think that the Liverpool game being on telly and the, the way that that game went at Kenilworth Road was was the turning point. Really, I think that's when we started getting a bit of the national press on board, rather than it being that Luton are embar- an embarrassment, being in the league in itself, which I find bizarre because we're there by merit. But um, but the fact that people started actually taking stock and thinking these guys actually do play they have a way of playing and they can adapt and we're getting some finally getting some credit looking at the league table we're like I say you look at you look at everton you look at brentford you look at forest we're we're not too far off we've got a game in hand on a couple of them and uh, things are looking really positive
1: friday is massive it's absolutely enormous for us it's i think friday is I th- I think there's two massive games this weekend. One's at St. James's Park on Saturday night, and the other one is your game on Friday, in that the other stuff will happen over the course of the season. Things, are, But it feels like three points at this point in time would put you ahead of Everton before anything happens with the appeal. Two points ahead of Everton. It'll put you only one point behind Brentford. It'll put you two points behind uh, Nottingham Forest and three points behind Crystal Palace. And it is against a team who... It feels very, very feasible that Luton can beat away from home. Yeah,
2: I think um, I, I wrote up in my pre in, in my pre game diary about the fact that this this is massive because essentially we've got the opportunity to cut Burnley and Sheffield United adrift a little bit. It'll create such a a, a, a nice gap between those bottom two and we'll be right in and amongst the mix to try and avoid being that third person to go down um if we can have a performance anything like what we did at sheffield united away um on boxing day then then we'll be well set it's just a case of winning by any means necessary i think
1: um tomorrow night it seems a couple of players i think have really stood out to me uh, whenever i've caught luton recently i think that doughty looks the part of the bio looks the part Barkley, I think, is is impressive and also looks like he's enjoying himself. And Samby Lekonga as well. They look to me like this is a this is a a, a group of footballers who are able to to, to really impress. Yeah,
2: I think you, you look at that core in that midfield of Barkley and Lekonga. They are Premier League bred. You know, like Lukonga's, um still on Arsenal's books. You've got Barkley as an ex England international. He just breezes through midfields. He's so quality on the eye. I
1: mean, having him in your own shirt is just a privilege. Um, Do you think there's something there where, you know, I've always, I've watched Ross Barkley play for over, I think it's 10 years now, because I remember obviously seeing him coming through at Everton. And I think there's a bit of a thing where I think on and off he's had to play with pressure or with, it looks to me like the pressure's off him whenever I catch him. He's yeah. trying stuff and and he's happy to try stuff. He's happy if it fails, he works back. He doesn't shirk the responsibility, but he just looks to me about as comfortable in his own sort of footballing skin as I've ever seen him.
2: Yeah. And, and I think that the thing is as well is that he's, he's a leader. He's a role model. He's, he's matured into that guy. I mean, the, like you said, he's been around for, for 10, 10, 11 years and he's only 29. Uh, yeah. The guy is absolutely um, unbelievable. And to, like I say, amongst Luton fans, we, we're very well aware that we're very lucky to have him, but he breezes through midfield. He brings players in like Doughty. He brings those wing backs in where Doughty's crossing and his and his ability to um, Getting assist is absolutely brilliant, and it, again, his name's being touted as a as an outside shout for that uh, left back spot um, for England because that's a place where we struggle for uh, for the England national team. So he's not doing himself any harm, and
1: playing alongside Ross Barkley can only be a good thing. When you when you're working through what these players are capable of. Obviously, the manager's at the heart of it. For me, what's really interesting is the flexing in and out and picking the moments. So there'll be extended periods in games where you'll see Luton. It all feels very, very back foot and that's only 10 minutes and it's like someone's dropped a flag or someone's waved a flag on the side of the pitch and said now we go and i think it's it, for me it's a fascinating approach i think he's trying to protect the legs i think he's trying to protect the space but it feels to me like there's a patch in every half whenever i see loot that for at least five minutes they won't just be the side that's on top they'll be on the the the, the halfway line everyone's pushed right the way up the pitch penning people in and it, it seems like the manager's picking his moments in these matches to say to everyone, "No, now it's our turn," and they're making sure they've got a turn in every game. Unlike, for instance, someone like Burnley.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good observation, actually. Because, um, like I say, when I think about all the different games, you're right. It's it is one of those ones where we can be under the cosh. We know we know that football um, sort of goes and starts fits and starts, but um, yeah, we we always have a moment. I think the only t- the only game that we've had. Where we had no moment, I would say, is probably the Aston Villa away game. That we were just nowhere near them. Um, but that—that that again, it feels like we've turned a corner since then as well, because that was so drab. But we haven't had another one since then. Brentford was difficult, but we still had our moments. But um, you're right, we do just seem to be able to flick a switch
1: at times and, and and really turn it on. Do you think the side you've mentioned there about it's different now? Do you feel there's other sides you've watched it improve before your very eyes? Because that's the other thing coming going to Burnley. Burnley to me, we went there recently for Liverpool go there and, and we, we win 2-0. It could have been three or four at half time. It then gets a bit sticky for us. We have a goal disallowed. But one of the, the things that was for me noticeable when I've caught Burnley through the year, I saw Burnley play Crystal Palace and it was not really any different. Do you feel as though Luton, the team, the players, Edwards himself, do you feel as though people are learning as they're going here? percent i think that
2: that the one of the things that we've realized is it was always going to take us time to acclimatize to being in the premier league we've we've got players that we've had since league 1 we've had we've got solid championship level players but we've the, the progression that luton have made over the years uh, and the and the the base of our squad has been the fact that they're a good hard work inside and they they're, they're hard working and they learn and the the reality of it is, is that we've stepped up to the Premier League. It took us a good five, six, maybe seven games. But you look at us now and you think, yeah, we're a Premier League side. And it sounds awful. It sounds very defeatist. But the, the reality of it is is that if we go down, um we if we can maintain 75, 80% of that squad will be a formidable um, team in the championship, and if we keep Rob Edwards, though, <laughs> that's that's going to be the thing. So, um, but that that's me being a bit dramatic about how it but goes. I'll,
1: I'll, 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 I'll no on that because I think everyone's spotted that Burnley, I think, are a bit built to go up and come back down. Sheffield United were in a very specific economic place, um, and the fighting now with with Wilder back in charge, and you never know what happens. It's like the likelihood is that they will go back down, and Ben Breit and Diaz looks to me like a sign, and that's got that a little bit in mind, if I'm honest. But that said, you know, I think the, they had a unique sort of. Set Set of problems. Luton. It was. It was always this idea of, well, they'll get to have a bit of a go, and then they'll go from there. And I know it sounds patronising, not least because it was a bit patronising, but. I do sort of wonder whether or not there is a thing that's going to happen by the time we get to March April, no matter where the league, what the league table's saying. It feels to me like Luton have got a real taste for it now. Like this, we can be, we can be the upstarts in the Premier League. Not that we'll, we'll have a, it be like a holiday in the sun for a season. Instead, to me, it's now turned into no, no, no. We want this. We want to be, and we want it. We want every game to feel like a massive event. We want every game to have that sort of big third round FA Cup atmosphere. And if we do that, and those players do this, we could live in this. And it. To me, what's interesting is I'm now. You just said it there, and I'm dead interested. It's the first time I've heard anyone say it. The idea of burn the yeah, we go down to come back. That all of a sudden, Luton could have a really strong. If it does go, it doesn't go. We just hope from this point a really strong. No, no, no. We're going to be back. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that there now more than it was earlier in the campaign?
2: Yeah, I think that the, one of the things that Rob Edwards gave us when he when he came to us just over a year ago now is that even amongst our own fan base, we've there was always that element of. We could get in the playoffs again because it happened the season before with Nathan Jones. Um, But Rob Edwards brought with him that actually you deserve to be here, guys. Like you are a legitimate top level championship side that could go up. And I think that when you look at Rob Edwards and how he conducts himself, he knows that he's a Premier League level um, manager and he knows that he's got the squad to be able to do that with some of the quality players that we mentioned earlier on. And instilling that belief in in our squad has been incredible to watch, and you can see with every single gro- a week that we're just growing into a, li- a team that wants to be in this league, wants to maintain being in this league, and um, is going to give themselves every single opportunity. They will run their nuts off um, for for Rod Edwards. Yeah. yeah,
1: gonna win Friday.
2: Yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go for um that i think that burnley will score uh we've only got um one clean sheet to our name so far this year in the, in the league but i'm gonna say that we're gonna take it three one three one
1: there you go uh, excellent stuff gonna run 26 miles yeah, smashing it. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll smash that. Another crazy win on two fronts. Let's get back over. Great stuff from Phil. Um, let's move ourselves along. Burnley versus Luton, very, very briefly, really. Uh, haven't heard from Phil, Chris, but this is one of those where you look at the league table, and I was going to do a little section on this one. I decided to hold it back for next week because, to be honest with you, the games are a bit less compelling next week uh, with the five and five splits. But one of the things of it is the maths of football. Begin to tighten at around this time of year, and this now's become a game where I just sort of feel Burnley versus Luton. It just sort of needs to not be a draw for either side. A draw does no one any favors uh, in this fixture.
0: Well, it does Everton, Brentford, and Forest a favor because yeah. it basically null and voids the fixture. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and and you're in a, like, you've put you put in the sense of the keeper should be coming up from sort of the seventieth minute to win a <laughs> header, which is which is which is true because. A, a draw it basically compels, con, compels, sort them to where they are. Um, but then that's where I think, like specifically, Luton. I'm, I'm getting more and more impressed with how they're just managed at the moment. I think you're looking at them in even, even the number of goals have become to have, have arrived. If that makes sense. Mm. And I thought against, against Chelsea, against Arsenal, they were unlucky on both. But they, they, they had, a, they knew exactly what they were going to do and when they were going to do it. Whereas Burnley, you've got that thing of. It almost feels like they're happy with company and they're happy with going up, coming back down, going back, and they sort of. But then, yeah, you, it's not it's not much to pin your whole season on the fact that we're going to be going to be good again in two years or we're going to be good again in a bit. Yeah. Um. So I'd be fancying looting in this just because I feel like they're that is at least looking at points in this table this season rather than points in the table next season.
1: I think that, that, that's already fair, Tessa uh, I really like Adebayo and Doughty uh, from, a, from, from a Luton point of view. Both have really impressed in recent weeks. Back to this idea of th- they also know exactly what the job is. Uh, it's a very uncomplicated uh, approach, but they're doing it with real zest.
3: Yeah, and I think because they're
1: the underdogs, and I think
3: out of the promoted teams, they were probably the team that everyone just thought, yeah, no chance. Small stadium. People have to walk through backyards to get into the, to, you know, to the pitch, etc. You know, Luton have got no chance. They're just gonna kind of be in the Premier League and kind of be happy that they're in the Premier League. They've probably shown everybody up, and surprisingly to myself as well, Rob Edwards. He's actually, I think he's a he's a very good tactical young manager. I think he kind of realised that he might not have the quality, but what they do have is the team spirit, work ethic and adding the ex-players, I know you mentioned Doughty and Adebayo, but adding the ex-players who've played in the Premier League, like Barkley and uh, Lokonga, Townsend and and a few others, Mengi, etc. It's kind of given them a resurgence because they're probably playing for Luton with the eye to showing players or showing other managers and teams that we're good enough for this level, we played at this level before We've been at big clubs like Mengi was at United and we just need that opportunity. And now even with Mengi's being linked with Palace and Fulham and a few other teams, it might actually work in Luton's favour that if they were to go down but have a really good season, they could sell some of the players for money and then have the money to kind of keep the good players that they have who are lower championship or higher, like high, sorry, high Premier high championship, low Premier League level
1: and it would just propel them again. They look. The other part of it is they look like they're enjoying it, uh, as the Phil will have made the point They look to me like they're still having the, the Chelsea game is a really good example of it. There was loads of ways that Chelsea game could have become a living nightmare. It could have got out of hand. You know, it doesn't take much to imagine two becomes four and becomes five on your own ground. But they always manage to keep these games within the within their reach. Uh, Paul, I think that's one of the most impressive things about them. All the games that Luton play, they feel as though they are alive until late on.
4: Yeah, I have to say, I for one, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm I'm one of those definite ones who gave them absolutely no chance and was somewhat derogatory to them, really, looking back. But, you know, at the time, that's the way it was going. And I actually think the catalyst was definitely um, Townsend and Barclays, particularly those two because of their experience of playing in the Premier League and also their standing in terms of, I think I said it in the last programme, that Seems like Spurs and Liverpool would turn up their nose to players like that, but Luton—that's a big thing for two yeah. ex-internationals to be playing for them. It raises the standards around you. The players that are there, I almost want to, you know, bring themselves up to level to say, "Look, I can play with the, these guys as well." So, yeah. But Doughty's definitely been uh, a standout for me. He's always there on the assist, um, on the assist card, uh, and you know, fair play to Luton—they're doing an amazing job—and I, I won't put it. Put it up past them going to Burnley and um, and winning this game.
0: I think the thing I like, and it speaks to the ignorance you've all kind of suggested that we kind of wrote them off, is it's like Rob Edwards was like, we probably only need this many points, so he can say to Barkley in Townsend, don't only arrive and be this, but get get back to footy, train well, be that, learn. To, you're now a senior pro. You weren't the last time you signed a contract, and I, what, my, Christmas is okay if you're if you're and because you, they've come into into their best probably in that part of the season around December. I'd say in terms of. You Know they're, they're really impressive, those two now, and even like the ignorance to him as a coach to know this many points is all right, or if we've got this many points by now, we're going to be like we say now in the conversation because Everton's points aside, there still only be two points above, um, out of safety. And the way he's used those two, it's a bit, it's a bit Pulis at Stoke when he started going to that sort of like dog's home approach of getting like Matty Etherington and people. And
4: well, it's going back to what we were saying before is knowing what you are, yeah, and you kind of think that. <sighs> Company, you know, I mm-hmm. Burnley played Spurs the other day in the FA Cup and I know we didn't score, we didn't score, we didn't score. But I also knew that Burnley were gonna make some sort of error that yeah. would lead to Spurs scoring. And essentially, although Poros hit a Weldy, where does that come from? The goalkeeper throwing it mm-hmm. out badly, got interception, we mm-hmm. scored, and they're constantly doing that, and it's almost like company will not have it. That if you're gonna play out from the back from the goalie messing around at the back you've got to have the quality of players to be able to pull it off and they clearly haven't got it but he's all saying no that's that's the way we're going to play you know which is great if you're in the championship if you've got any hopes of staying in the Premier League forget about it okay
1: Uh, excellent stuff Uh, Chelsea versus Fulham then Uh, Chris whether we like it or not Fulham softened up anyway uh, after an intense night at Anfield but Chelsea Chelsea Chelsea, Chris, are a recalcitrant child who should really be trying to get better marks uh, but not getting them and it's not entirely clear why it's not happening and yet they've still got a bit of attitude about them. Uh, I know you're in the sector you will <laughs> recognise the, the profile uh, Chelsea you have never looked at a rake and not stepped on it um, it is they are still in the round whenever I catch them still sort of playing well, it's the bit I don't understand, I always go, look alright here Chelsea whenever I see them. thing is it's, it's two very good analogies and I
0: can't better them myself but I did hear someone said it's like, it's like neighbours in the 90s where you could miss a few episodes and then put it on and just catch up. Yeah. Just, oh yeah, that's okay, (laughs) that's happened. Um, Yeah, I think, I I was thinking this on on, um, after the Borough game of effectively, it is what it looks like, it's lots of players all looking really uncomfortable doing things they don't really feel comfortable doing from the keeper forwards, from the keeper through to the back four, through to an expensive, quite well-assembled, but not that competent midfield to... I really, I really like Raheem Sterling, and I think, I don't mean this, but he's not what I would call like the senior pro in a sense of, he's kind of always been the Robin to the Batman, in a sense of, and I think that suits him, because he applies himself well, he works really hard, but his decision making at the moment is not up there enough, the, the, and the play, you can see it, like, again, Carl Palmer's not a senior pro, because because he's cause he's not far off being like a literal child. Like that's that's why it's not his fault. <laughs> but they are they are they are in an uncomfortable situation, and um, and it's one of those where I think ha, ha, you, you, when when the square peg has landed in the square hole, like Gusto coming in at right back, it it's improved things. Um, but somehow there aren't enough square pegs, and it almost comes down to like. Nothing's, like, optimal. Almost everything is therefore substandard. And I kind of thought this manager would be quite happy in that imperfect scenario of sort of squeezing about some here and there. But he... he, And he doesn't look lost. He looks quite laid back. But then today, there's this talk of basically like... What did they said, I wrote it down. Like an end-of-season review is basically... Which suggests... That, and that's okay. There doesn't need to be pressure on him. I don't think moving him on a cheese saying that he
4: has to reach certain goals
0: no they're not going to look at at the end of the season where are we now because if you sack a third manager during a season you then can't convince anyone else there's any idea of a project um, at all and I think that where where it's tricky as a fan is it's kind of been our thing our sort of (laughs) like you know any other season by now there's someone else there sometimes you've seen them before sometimes you haven't and then you go and win a cup and so it feels it, it's a weird it's a weird feeling to sort of um, let it kind of stand by and, and watch it all happen. But my issue is that I don't mind him not being under pressure, but I feel like there's no pressure anywhere. Like the decision making is quite of days of calling. It's quite it's quite frustrating. So, I, like I said, I don't disagree. Like there is there is this sort of um, there is this like air of playing quite well, and there is this sort of air of way that maths works that a few wins does in the, in the league the you know you start approaching those bottom end european spots which is where this team probably well meritocratically would be um but i just don't i don't see where those those No, know we said the thing about it being the same episode of, of neighbors but there's, <coughs> there's, there's there's no there's no like matching conclusions like sometimes it's good sometimes it's it's like woeful
1: yeah um, no, nothing to have built on no, that's what exactly. I've found all season exactly. I've thought this is the one they're going to build on mm-hmm. they've done this they, they, they get the draw against City and they play really well and are tactically well set up and there's a couple of stellar performances they're going to build on this one it's not built on you, you know the the you can go all the way through even mm-hmm. during the game against Luton when it did go 2-0 I thought this is where they build on this yeah. now and they're going to really pull these apart and it could get a bit unpleasant in that game it doesn't get built on and you can just sort of go right the way yeah. back through the run of fixtures and results and you just go in every single time it's not get, nothing. nothing good gets built on but nothing bad ever feels terminal
0: where it is for me is and it's a bit felt this and a bit sort of holistic but really good Managers, and that's why I'm really glad to pause here because really good managers, I think, have this sort of character above anything else. And I'm going back as far as remember the season we lost all our keepers within an afternoon, and we had Hilario in mm-hmm. there, and then we had SEN at right back. And but the, it's a bit—it reminds me of Liverpool at the moment, where as a fan, you kind of. Joe Gomez playing there you almost will him to do so well that he does well because the character of that team and the the narrative and the feeling of that team is we are this level so we're going to bring you up to this level just by the fact that the lad who was in that seat was that good and so you'll just get better because a lot of those players who have those odd moments in seasons we've had a lot of them where they sort of filled in and their career's never gone back to that point where they got to Champions League say the Champions League football or won league titles but Chelsea at the moment, players are coming in and they just don't, they all look really uncomfortable and I think no one's that worried about playing against them. I'd be amazed how much time is spent on opposition training ground worrying about Chelsea's tacticals or Chelsea's tactical approach or Chelsea's sort of like personnel because it's a bit like we were saying about um, Burnley possibly off, might possibly on, is you kind of, you know they'll make the mistake for you eventually but I really, I like I like the idea of this manager. I like I like the reason he was employed I'm just yet to feel that sort of sense of like, oh, this is this is a thing, and this. But
4: identity, yeah, so, yeah. So not identity. Uh,
0: but because it's there, you can see it, but there's just nothing. There's no substance to it yet.
3: I think Chelsea are they're too nice. They've gone mm. the complete opposite way. I think the best Chelsea teams under the mm-hmm. most successful periods of time, whether that's Ancelotti or with Jose, or even the one-off times they've won with like Di Matteo, Benitez, etc. Conte's team wasn't a nice team. Conte as well. Either the manager is the one who embodies, like, it's us against the world, or they have players who, if you ask rival fans about Chelsea's team, mm-hmm. they'll be, you know, critical of them as like a character. But as a player, they might think amazing, world class. I think Chelsea have gone too much of the other way by signing specifically under 21, under 23 type um, profile players. And I think that's then spread across the whole kind of culture of the club because usually a bar in Thiago Silva everybody else is almost trying to well maybe I'm Raheem Sterling and Chilwell apart from them everybody else is still trying to pave their way they're trying to create their type of career their type of player um, their type of almost brand whereas Chelsea were a club that what, whoever the manager w- was They always have brand name players, and I'm not saying that Chelsea should go the opposite way and start signing, you know, ready made players for a lot of money. But I think that identity and hierarchy has kind of been lost. I think you were touching up about it, touching upon it about saying the players look a bit uncomfortable. I think that's also because every single one has to step up and have that responsibility of being that player. Whereas previously, if one player A didn't perform, you know, you've got one, two, three, four who are going to perform. And I think with Pochettino, obviously he's, you know, people like giving praise for what he did at Tottenham, et cetera. The difference at Tottenham is Tottenham didn't have the expectation of being a top four Champions League kind of club, whereas Chelsea have always won stuff. That's been the bottom line. Doesn't matter who's in charge. Every two years they win something. If they don't, they get rid of the manager, get someone in. And I think they're going through a period of time where they're probably trying to reinvent themselves as this place where young, attractive footballers come. We've got this young manager, or fairly young manager, who's going to nurture them and take them to the next level. But at the same time, they're almost falling behind because they're not keeping up with the ability to win or they have those kind of name-brand players that's going to attract. Because that's that's where
0: I think you might see change when you see things like, let's talk of Thiago Silva either leaving at the end of the season or possibly even in the next few weeks. And if Colwell, for example, becomes a centre-back... Caicedo and Gallagher and Fernandez become a, a central three. Ben Chilwell returns. Uncunku and Jackson are there. Carl Palmer's a pretty sensible, serious footballer. You can see it changing. Um, but that's all lots of ifs again. And all of those players have played in those positions for us this season and it hasn't happened then. So I don't know really you know, what you're betting the farm on.
4: The, what, what strikes me? Go on, Paul. I was just going to say, you, you talked about the the, the Chelsea teams of old having spite. I think it's the leaders is the, is the issue. With all young players... I think in each position, really, you need uh, a leader, someone who's been there, done it, and can, and can almost like mentor these players. And I think in Thiago Silva they have that. And I think they would have hoped that Reese Nelson and Chilwell were going to be fit. Uh, so Reece James yeah. and um, Chilwell were going uh, to be. But supporters just think about Arsenal. mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to be we're going to be fit um, throughout the season, which is is a near impossibility you know if you look at the yeah, history of the 100%. two players it's just too it just happens too many times and eventually it gets to a stage where they're just not the same player anymore uh, and I can, unfortunately both players look like going that way at the moment mm-hmm. um, so you lose those two who were probably part of the, the leadership group I would have assumed along with Sterling and Thiago Silva I know they're obviously around the, the pitch but, uh, around the group but on the pitch is so important because I think Pochettino, if I look at his Spurs trajectory, I think it was not until the second season, like November maybe time, where we were nearly getting sacked until Kane scored that famous goal against Villa. or well, it was a deflection, but it as a goal and, and the history changed and he started to... So I think <coughs> if you persist with Pochettino, the fruits of his labour will appear, but the leadership thing is definitely an issue for Chelsea. For me, the, the, there's two things at once. On it, on Chris, I just sort of see...
1: When you're talking before, when Tessa was talking about Chelsea being too nice, I take the leader point. But one of the things that I think Salton, whenever I've caught Chelsea in the last 20 years and thought they're onto something, They've had an absolute bastard playing yeah. centre forward, mm. and and genuinely like it's it's like an absolute swine. And you can rank them in a way, and and, and there's different types, you know. But you've got Drogba, Costa, there, the obvious big two. But even someone like Samuel Eto'o, who's a nightmare yeah. to play against, when he was even when he was getting older, he was hor- horrible to play against. Giroud, I think Lukaku has had an element of that when he's been on his game with we'll back who's... to Jimmy Floyd yeah yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah and I think that that's still the bit that's missing Like I'd, I really like the look of Nkuku I think he looks like a really silky footballer but he doesn't look as though he would he would eat your children if it were him a corner and all those lads I've just mentioned would eat your children if it were I him a love, corner
0: I love a Reggie Bastard and I've said it I've said it before Richarlison putting on a Spurs top I, re- I loved Richarlison I thought he was proper Chelsea <laughs>
1: But the other thing is that the other thing I'd say it's interesting that Paul mentions Kane yeah. because that's the thing that that manager has when he was at Tottenham was he suddenly had Kane and Kane's a horrible player to play against. Kane yeah. puts himself he, he, about. Yeah,
4: he might give it the Mr Nice Guy and everything but he's he's far yeah, from Completely. Yeah. And I think that that's what the whole thing just looks to me like They're it's missing. They're
1: not a cold
0: it. side. They're no. Not, there's no coldness. Even someone like Gallagher who picks up enough bookings to be that sort of player. He's not a cold... Yeah. He, he, and I and I can't say so you, you feel like you feel like you you feel like you're talking about the wrong thing when you want your footy team to be that. You feel like you're getting into the Chris Ward or the just headphones type run. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it is a real thing. Like all of these successful teams, all have that slightly cold, possibly unhinged, well. When you look at
4: Pochettino's Tottenham. Yeah. You know the Battle of the Bridge. You know you exactly. saw it come to the fore. Then we had some horrible players that yeah. were they were young, but they were horrible. Deli Ali, Eric Dyer, Kane, these sort of players. Because
0: he's, he's come in as this sort of humanistic, like, hug every morning. Like, I love it. I listen, I love a cuddle, so I'm into it. <laughs> but he went into Spurs and, in like, signed Lloris and unsettled Brad Friedel straight away and had this fellow on the bench watching you. And he did, He like I said, it, there was, that's why I sort of wonder, is he a different person on the way up like he was then from Southampton, looking at PSG, looking at those sort of Real Madrid jobs? I
3: don't think he has the power at Chelsea. I think Chelsea are yeah. still regimented with Clear Lake that they have this kind of structure above him where it's if this player isn't under 23 years of age we're not even going to look at him because what for myself I thought you know they've signed a lot of promising young players all you need to do is just take a chance on a 26 year old two or three of them put them amongst the players you've got and it takes the pressure off off some of these players and you can rely on those players week in, week out. Someone who loves being playing. uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: He's well into it. Someone who's, someone who's quite happy to be freezing cold up front and like elbows and, and, and all the rest of it.
3: Yeah, and someone who can... So, someone who can play regularly without having to play Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva, at yeah. his age, even as as good as he is and as, as well as he keeps himself uh, physically and mentally... He should just be coming in for big games. He shouldn't be the first name. In the and he title. also isn't that sort of leader.
0: Even hmm. that. Remember when he um, broke his spine for Brazil, and it was almost like they'd lost like a cherished son. It wasn't like, oh, there goes Roy Keane. It, yeah. he, he's obviously just a really sound.
1: Good. All the footballers love him. Yeah, which I'm, is fine. Uh, it's, no, it's an interesting post match. Yeah, yeah. Every other every player, I don't know quite why. It's like everyone knows him. Everyone's desperate to have a chat with him. Everyone yeah. thinks
4: he's great because
0: his PSG team had Ibrahimovic, had had Varati, had Marquinhos, had like oh. Raji Bastard. He wasn't the bastard.
4: No, he just reads the game so well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Knows. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. We just need a scumbag. Can we just go and number get... Number nine. Oh, it's got to play number we got, nine for that, you. Vlalic? But he's not that good. He's Vavage. not doing much
4: at Juve, is he? It, the interesting thing you just said Jamie Vardy. <laughs> oh. That would be really good. Yeah. Oh. You know what you said there, that cut tears. Yeah. That kind of, like, gives me less confidence in Pochettino succeeding because the thing is about Tottenham is he did have a complete, almost, like, control to a certain extent, you yeah. know, in terms of um, the way the club was running and stuff. It was a, a project... Are you saying that this isn't necessarily a project that's based on the manager? It's probably based on the club. I
3: think it's based on the club. I think Pochettino is just a kind of like a vessel at the moment to get players from A to B, and the final destination can be, you know, just for example's sake, Alonso. That's the next upcoming manager, and he's going to take you from B from B to C. I think. Pochettino was the best manager available at the time with a bit of experience, Premier League experience and a name that Chelsea can attach themselves to. Whereas if they went for someone who was a bit untried and untested with the untried and untested um, players at the same time, it's, it can be a complete car crash. So I think, I mean, not that I don't rate Pochettino, but I, from watching Chelsea this season, Chris will probably tell you more on this, I think tactically he's been very strange. I think I know you've had a lot of injuries and you've had an odd suspension, but I feel like he's just trying to get in players on the pitch for familiarity's sake. Like, Caldwell playing left back reminds me of when United had Marcus Rojo. I'm not saying he's the same level because Rojo was generally one of the worst defenders I've ever seen at United. But in terms of Caldwell's a centre back who he's not someone who's going to make off the ball runs to give you. The, the, you know the balance yeah. from the other side and he's not someone who's comfortable of being ahead of the ball he's very much I need the mm-hmm. defeat feet and I'm going to kick it long
0: he's a very good centre back yeah. that doesn't mean you're very he's, he's there because he's tall he's there because they're a very short team and I think that's where the manager's input arrives but I don't know how much upstairs would like that because... can I just
4: ask one last question on. to Chris do you think that Casido and uh, Fernandes are getting off lightly the fact that they cost over 200 million pounds between them or are people looking at their definite two players that are definitely gonna be worth their salt in in, you know two three seasons I don't know because
0: I don't think that our problems are there which is why Conor Gallagher is apparently you know in some people's wish lists because I don't think that's where we're that's where we're going wrong. However, I also don't think if they were doing half what they could be doing, we'd be a lot better else as well. We are a team without much of an engine. Um, but sort of like yeah, I, I kind of do, but then I think Chelsea is such a bonfire that why bother focusing on like a couple of the embers when you can just look at the old <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs>
2: that,
1: well, the game against Fulham, if they win at the one three on the bounce in the league. And
0: that's why I meant with the league table, like on a purely maths level. And on, if 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 it was just numbers, and there was no like, they're doing all right in terms of expected things and and all the rest of it, but they don't really they don't matter at all. But yeah, a win against Fulham does what to us? I mean, I was looking before it's, it's gone off my head. A level
1: with United. You're, with a game Fulham, you go, you go level with United and Brighton and seventh and eighth.
0: Yeah, and 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 you win a semif- three,
1: three league wins on the bounce. I'll you're, say you're, again. again.
0: Mm. Yeah, and you win a semifinal still in the second leg at your gaff, and you can only do better. And, and, it's, and, and that I mean I think the League Cup gets you confidence I think so that could take some heat in terms of there's more to do next season because part of the thing is like we said right at the start there's not enough games so that's why one thing you said about the ownership the end of season review idea offers me a bit of comfort because I think they're going to look at them as separate things have we done our job has he done his job are we bringing in players at the right standard or do we need to change that and the players that we're giving him is he doing better because like the idea that like Alfie Gilchrist has been playing quite a lot lately I think that the manager is allowed to have an input because he is introducing like a bit of noise to these to the team and he is making changes but then that's where some of them are so strange that you think it's almost like he doesn't really know what he's meant to be doing so he's trying to sort of have a have a spin. But yeah, I mean the 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 form so cuz then but away away I think we've lost five and five on the bounce. But we could we could be our third league yeah. game.
4: It's also, you know, it's like Football Manager isn't it when you play and you have got an unlimited budget and you play it, you you try to be smart and buy all these Brilliant young players yeah. from everywhere, but it's the chemistry. Trying yeah. to find that chemistry, and you know he's nowhere near finding it because I think he's got so many different options to look at formations, players, trying him in different positions. Because like,
0: what we haven't seen yet is how these money, how these owners like sell. For example, um, these players are all on they're, they're going to be expensive to get. So if they have a good six months, and a, and what will be a, a larger club with a bigger. Uh, ambition or more 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 time in the Champions League comes in and wants one of those players, let's say Lavia, let's say um, you know, Mudricks, someone someone who've not seen anything from yet, there's no suggestion it's gonna happen, but we don't know what they sell like. They could some of these players could be out because they get in if they have a good six months. And that's why the manager's role is so strange. Um and when he's got his full squad it's gonna be so interesting what he does. Or if he ever gets his full squad as well. Um I just I just think that's such a hard team to really sum up because like you said there's loads of reasons you're like, oh, yeah, these were all right. But then there's also loads of, like, like demonstrable reasons where they're pretty woeful.
4: Uh, but on eight-year contracts, you know, uh, if they haven't been successful with Chelsea, they're not going to be as... Um Desirable to other no, teams. But like
0: none that. of them are on that bigger wages. That's what's so straight they're, they're locked into eight years on hundred grand. Some of them, whereas you've got Reece James on five years on three hundred and fifty grand. So it's kind of just a different way of doing the same thing in terms of. That's crazy. It's wild, isn't it? But that's yeah. what I mean. So it doesn't. And we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that idea come through yet. It's
4: an American idea, isn't it? Yeah. The, the
0: do it. I don't know if it's... I might have missed it, but I don't think we've seen it go one full term anywhere. So I, I, just, I just don't know. I don't know what the future of. The ambitions of the side can actually be
1: just dead quick. Fulham, good at football, sensible. <laughs> Tezza, but we'll run out of legs. Uh, yeah, I think that's you know a lot of clever footballers, cunning footballers. But I think that the certainly what I saw at Anfield last night. The, there's a, I think there's a point in every game where he does need to make his subs. If he mistimes times it a little bit, there is a lack of freshness there on the pitch. Yeah,
3: I think Fulham are a little bit similar to Chelsea. I was thinking when I was reading the uh, preview before this, I was actually thinking Fulham are really nice as well. I know they have a few players like Reed and Polińo who get stuck in, but I feel like they can be nice. They're not particularly the most aggressive team to play against. But when Mitrovic goes, you probably want a bit of like, shall we just get on for a bit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> can we just be mates? Yeah,
3: potentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think Marco Silva's actually done really well because in the beginning of the season, they did look as if they would probably be fighting for relegation. I think... When Jimenez kind of found his form, it will be kind of settled down. And, you know, Paulinho said, Yeah, I'm going to play and I know I'm not leaving. Transfer window shut. And they brought back uh, Tosin Adurabayo as well. I think because he wanted to leave, he was ostracised and he's their best defender. Mm-hmm. I think all of those things aligning at the same time has settled them down a little bit. Um, with it being a derby and Chelsea at home, I expect Chelsea to win. But because then there's no pressure on Fulham and Fulham are away. They could quite
1: easily nick a a draw. And then to the half-five, Newcastle versus Manchester City. Every game this weekend and next weekend is televised. Burnley-Luton, obviously, the Friday night. Uh, Chelsea versus Fulham at the half-twelve. Then Newcastle versus Manchester City. And it is a big game, Tezza. Um, Newcastle needs something in a couple of senses. I think they need something to sort of buy into and and lock onto. But they were good against Sunderland. I thought they were legitimately good. It did look like a top-six Premier League side coming up against a top-six championship side. Add the derby aspect in, I think it makes an even an even more impressive uh, performance. Um, but City might just be coming to the party.
3: Yeah, and I think Newcastle, for the first time in probably seven, eight, nine, ten games, had quite a few of their players back. I don't know what the fitness levels will be of some
1: of those players you played. Well, They had a week's rest as well before they played Liverpool. They had six days before Liverpool, played Liverpool. Then they had six days to Sunderland and they've got another six days to this one.
3: Well, yeah, that's probably going to be even... They might have even a few more players back, but I think when I looked at the first eleven, it was probably one of the teams or a similar kind of eleven that they put out that did really well against PSG in the Champions League. Um, I think City are doing that thing where everybody thinks they're a bit washed and then all of a sudden you look at the table and then they clear by three points. Um, KDB came back and I think he got an assist straight away as soon as he came back. Phil Foden's been unbelievable of late, and I think they're pairing at the the right time. I think it would be quite difficult for Newcastle. Although the fans will probably be buoyed after beating Sunderland, so it'll be a tough game for for Newcastle. But I, I think New- City would just be too strong for them. It was striking when
1: uh, City played Everton over Christmas or just before Christmas. Um, can't get the it was between Christmas and New Year. I thought. First half, I thought Everton should have got themselves to two 0 uh, There was there was a, there was a couple of moments in there, and then I thought City came out second half. They looked different to the way they looked all season, Paul. I thought they took more risks. They were more aggressive. Uh, I thought they rose to the idea of no, this is a vociferous crowd, so we've got to stick it to them. I thought there was an element of that in them. They they appeared to have a bit of a all right, all right. You want to do that? Okay, watch us. We're going to do this for about the first time this season. In a funny way, that's not to say they haven't played well in other games, but they really looked they looked narky. I thought, and I mean
4: that solely as a compliment. I think the, the, the Manchester City that we'll see now is the Manchester City we've seen over the last few years which starts to get into gear and starts to purr and starts to motor um, it's, it almost seems like the season's set out like that it's almost like in the first part of the season they'll take a few hits and um, take a few punches roll with it um, get themselves <laughs> through the Champions League then Christmas comes around and it starts to motor and then at this point, this is where I see them put the foot on the gas. Normally, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's what, I, if I had to put a bet on it, I would bet that it would be a very similar game to the Everton one in the sense of Newcastle, you know, really having a go, but ultimately City just having too much quality at the end of the day. I think Newcastle were in danger of having their entire season decided for them, and
0: I think Eddie Howe's done quite a good job, and probably Jason Tyndall of saying, you know. We're basically, everyone's going to say we overachieved last season. Everyone's going to say you're too tired. Everyone's going to say you can't do it. You've got a derby in the FA Cup. You've got stuff to play for in the league. You, there's no real form necessarily around us in the league that's definitely going to stop us doing anything. So I think it's 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 looking like a good piece of management, which, again, I didn't have in my opinion of him. And he did it last season. He, I thought he, he impressed me. And I think he, he seems to have done quite a good job. So I'm quite interested to see how they go into this game of like, you know, here's the measurement of us against the best and, and we've we've shown, you know, with PSG, with Milan, with not so much with Milan, with Dortmund, you know, we can we can keep up with them for a bit, but then it's those issues, those errors have come come into play. Um and I still I still I'm still can't decide on Man City this season. I'm still I'm still I'm still uninspired, but then you don't need to be because they can just do stuff when they, they could be they don't need to be playing at their best to picking up points all the time. Um, so this would be quite a good moment for them back in back in domestic football um sort of three like properly like few few games in a row big game um pressure on the bench again they're not sort of I mean
4: see you've been playing about Harlan though like and yeah. it's just, I mean, none of us have even mentioned you know can you imagine well, he, he hasn't been astounding this season i suppose has he so they didn't the question's if
1: if Haaland's missed de bruyne to a degree which is also yeah. the case because you would but then the flip side is I actually think in a couple like I thought the unsung hero of that second half against Everton was Alvarez mm-hmm. I thought he was the absolute business and I thought he just went to another level in terms of intensity and gear it was a one man pressing machine led it everywhere for them and I think it's a really bit of a funny thing really where I think that when Haaland comes back obviously in loads of ways they will be better but I do think at times it does take another footballer away <laughs> of someone who's constantly involved Haaland Maybe it'll be different when he comes back this time, but he, he doesn't want to be involved, whereas Alvarez is desperate to be involved, and sometimes that can help you more. Like, I, I, I've got a really funny thing with Haaland, because Guardiola did buy him, but I always, like, every season Guardiola will go through a patch of trying not to pick Aguero. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, I want to do football yeah, without yeah, that fella. Yeah. And then Aguero would get in the team and he'd score. And he'd go, all right, sound. And he'd pick him the next week and he'd score two. And then he'd take him off on 60. It was like, how do I do this without this fella? But then he'd always get back in. And I think there's a bit of a thing where I think Guardiola's ideal football effectively doesn't include Haaland. Yeah. But Haaland's just too good. Yeah, But I do wonder if if they rush Haaland back and it doesn't quite work. If, you know, if they rushed him back into this one, for instance, and it's tight on 60 and... To being a little bit overrun in a couple of areas, that's maybe where you make the big call and you go, you 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 become more of a, an entire unit. But Haaland will obviously score a million goals and make a fool of me and make a fool of all of us because that's what he does. It's the way in which it works. Uh, anyway, um, are we all thinking City are going to win? Two one City, yeah. Two one as well. Yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like it was like an all-around drink that yeah, where Two yeah, so had yeah, so yeah, so so gone for the Madri. You yeah. didn't really want the Madri, but you'll go on. You don't the, have to think about it. You don't have to think about it when you go to the bar.
0: It's things like words like under the lights that make me just think. You know, yeah. Saint James's Park, Pumping those sort of. Do adjectives. you speak French?
1: No. What's under the lights in French? All right, I reckon it sounds great. do Saint James's Park. Uh, we'll see how it goes Uh, here's Tom Farhi on Aston Villa joined by Tom Farhi to talk about Aston Villa got themselves a 1-0 against Middlesbrough uh, but they just treated it like a warm-up fixture Middlesbrough if we're all honest they had bigger fish to fry which was Chelsea in the game that followed Uh, Villa though made a number of changes for that one game before a late 3-2 win against uh, Burnley Uh, the game before that a pretty sickening I suspect 3-2 defeated Old Trafford where Villa were arguably the better side for long long portions but didn't quite get it done yet they just, just sit second that's what Aston Villa do and Tom Fahy here Everton away at the weekend it's a win puts Villa level on points with Liverpool before Liverpool go to Bournemouth but it's not even about that it's about the gaps that begin to really build up behind Villa if they win this weekend
5: yeah I was, I was really worried like especially when we went into December those when you've got well, we've got a bigger squad than we'd usually have. But when you when you don't have the sort of elite squad that Liverpool and Man City or an Arsenal have, when you get into December, and like Villa had, we had 10 games in 34 days. When you get into that, you really start to worry. But in those 10 games, we had six wins, three draws and one defeat. And the defeat, yeah, it was an absolute sickness, where at, at the time it felt... It felt really demoralising because the, the Villa fan base thought, well, that's the worst we've played all season. But you watch it back and every time we conceded, we made a chance straight away, which we should have scored. We, yeah. we had no right to lose that. But now we're getting into a period where it's one game a week, essentially, for the next two months until the Conference League comes back. Uh, an FA Cup fixture thrown in, players coming back from injuries. This this squad looks ready to just you know, do what we've done the whole time under Emery and just take it a game at a time and win all those games. <laughs>
1: The squad's also come through relatively unscathed as well. I think that that's a a massive part of this and also showing a fair bit of the depth. Cash can't seem to entirely nail down a place, but he scores the late winner against Middlesbrough. Dendonka uh, gets himself 70 minutes on the pitch. Bailey gets a run-out, another extended one. But Saniolo also then gets to show himself. Watkins comes on for Duran in that game against Middlesbrough as well. Constant and Longley both playing at centre-half. One where Diego Carlos sits it out. I could sort of go on. This is a Villa squad. You're right to say it's not as big as a couple of others. Liverpool's being a very good example. It's not as big as Liverpool's. But there's a pretty good, clean bill of health currently for a lot of these players.
5: Yeah, we are, we're We're still sweating on the fitness of um, Pao Torres at the moment because he wasn't in any of the training ground photos from today. He did come on against Burnley the other week, but seemed to aggravate his ankle injury that he's had. And He only came on because Clement Langley was ill. So you, when he came on for Langley, you could really see just that step up in the way he progresses with the ball. The only other thing we're missing is, and I really didn't think he'd become a miss at any point this season, is Yuri Tielemans because he has been... Just when Villa are really trying to break down that low block, his quick, incisive passing, his his technical control where he can just take the ball in a phone box and not lose it. We've really missed him. But if you tell me that Pau Torres is back for the Everton game, then I have absolutely no worries whatsoever. Dominic Carl Lewin is just going to be as of business for that game. And I'm more than happy with that being a one-on-one battle because the only better one-on-one defender... In Europe at the moment, I'd say it's Virgil van Dyke, And to be fair, the stats are sort of uh, backing up the eye test there, which
1: is always fun. It is always fun when that happens. And it is a lot of this is built on because whilst the terms this season we've raved, we've chatted about Watkins. And whilst this isn't the idea that Villa just keep endless numbers of clean sheets, there's a couple of things. One, when the pressure's on, Villa have kept clean sheets in that run that you've talked about. Uh, and also, two, Villa are just defending really, really well game in game. Sides do get a goal against Villa, but very few of them tend to get more than one.
5: Yeah, the, the Burnley game worried me a, a bit more than I was really expecting to be. Worried about if if anyone follows me on Twitter, they'll see that my heart rate got to 166 beats per minute during wow. it, which which really should not be happening. I think I might need to go see the doctors. But Lyle Taylor, was it Lyle Foster, the Burnley striker? He was he was an absolute menace and he terrified me. But other than that, the defense has been fine and kind of like we kind of do it kind of like a a basketball lineup where we just kind of swap players in and out just just on the fly. Diego Carlos will come in for a game. Esri Constable will shift to right-back. Lengley will come in. We've got two excellent left-backs that can just rotate with each other in Moreno and Dina. So the defence is is really the least of our worries. And, you know, all behind that you've got Emi Martinez who say what you want. He's, he's the best goalkeeper I've ever seen. He's the second best goalkeeper in the league. So do Everton worry me going forward? Dominic Carver-Lewin does a little, but you know, I was upset that his red card got overturned. It, it was good for football, but bad for me, which <laughs> which I don't like. But that that's these things happen. But other than that, like it's it's just an exciting period because the, the games we've got coming up, I, I could see us winning seven out of the next ten, which is like I feel like an idiot saying that because it will bite it will bite me on the arse. But but it's just it's just all fun and games for us because we've got the third best manager in the league, and it feels like the third best squad at the moment when you when you see us play.
1: And as part of this, it then becomes, the question becomes to me, expectation uh, from this point. So at the start of the season, you know, there was European football last season. And I think there was the the desire for a really good European run. You've got that, at least to the knockout phases of the Conference League that's coming back in in March. That's been achieved. I think there may well have been a desire to look to push up. And the idea of getting into the top six, I think, would have been there. Now, and I don't want to do this thing where someone's got to come back to you in five months and say, so the season was a failure then because Aston Villa finished fifth. But I feel as though a reasonable expectation now is fourth. Is that fair?
5: Yeah. The, like, the expectations before the season, it, it really depended on who you asked. So like if you asked me, my expectation was you know, do what we can in the league, try and win the conference league, maybe win a league cup. But when you're past Christmas and you have the potential on January, January the 14th to the joint top of the league, expectations do shift. So the expectation now is top four and everyone's saying, who can we sign to help really go for this top four and nail down our spot? Well, the best thing you can do is not change anything. You don't want to bring in any outside voices. You don't want to bring in anyone who's not used to the system and say to them like, you need to learn a very complex way of playing football. You need to do it quick and you need to go into a team that is really settled. So for me, if you said to me that Villa, keep going at the rate they're going, we'll we'll finish third, I think we're better than Arsenal. I watch the way Arsenal attack, I watch the way we attack. I think we're better. I think Leon Bailey and is one of the most exciting players in the league at the moment. Every time he goes on the pitch, it, it used to be that Leon Bailey off the bench was the best thing you could pull. But Leon Bailey starting games, he's just he's electric and he's, he's everything you want from a winger and second striker. So at the moment, would I be disappointed if we didn't finish in the top four? I don't know if I can say that because it feels really entitled given the football that I've seen over the last 10 years at Aston Villa. But I, I do really want to see a Champions League badge on the side of a Villa kit. And, you know, if it is five places, I think we'll get it. If it's four places... We're definitely in the conversation, and that's all you can ask for.
1: All you can ask for, uh, this weekend, Everton, obviously you've mentioned Calvert-Lewin. Uh, give me a prediction on what you're expecting from it. You, you've got to be expecting it to be a fair bit of a brawl at Goodison Park.
5: Yeah, we're currently on our longest... If we beat Everton this weekend, it will join beating Birmingham City as our longest winning streak against another team. So part of me doesn't want to win just for <laughs> uh, To keep the streak going, That Blues is our best. But we haven't lost against Everton since we got promoted back up to the Premier League. We've got this kind of like weird handshake with them where it's like, it's the game that's played most in English football. Let's let's just keep it fun and friendly. But I I think we'll beat them. Uh I'd, I'd say 2-0 just because I just feel like Unai Emery, he, he's had a week to organise this game. I don't know what he'll have done in that week, but the players will have been doing overtime every day. So, yeah, 2-0 two, two Villa, joint top of the league. What more could you ask for?
1: Uh, Great stuff from Tom. We'll move on to Manchester United uh, versus Tottenham Hotspur. Sadness versus happiness. Crushing reality versus Joy De Viva, mate. Uh, Scott McTominay versus uh, Giovanni Lo Celso. But it's exactly the sort of game that Manchester United win. Uh, So we'll go to Tezza first. Uh, It is lost last time out of the league against Forest in what was an absolute dog of a game. I think they played it in black and white. Um, yeah. I can't be crystal clear, but I, I didn't remember seeing any colour on the pitch at all as it wore on. Uh, but there was a lot of players out. There have been a lot of players out. And there's a lot who might get themselves back for this, or at least by the end of the month. There's a bit of a mad thing where you look at the minute on Man United's injury, and almost everyone is meant to be back in the month of January.
3: Yeah, and... I- It's kind of a positive thing and also a negative thing in terms of who's going to then be picked because there's some players who've literally played three, four, five times a season and trying to get them back up to match fitness and sharpness in a crucial period of the season will be tricky because the manager needs results and he needs points. And also performances and also some of these players are probably playing for not just this manager but for their careers because with Ineos now taking over or when it's finally confirmed taking over there might be a, a shake up in the strategy of some of these players some players who thought they were just coasting might actually you know need to get themselves into some kind of window to show like if I'm not playing here I want to be playing at the highest level possible and i think a lot of the players that are who are coming back will hopefully change how the manager sees the setup of the team I'm not too confident on Ten Hag and haven't been all this season because I genuinely think his tactics don't actually provide the team with the best platform to win I think what he's trying to do is his idea of what the fans would appreciate but he's doing it in a way that leaves us very very um, porous through the middle I think United. Biggest issues, which I've, I've probably said for years and years, is in front of that back four, in transition, the ball goes wide, a cut back, the opposition's got someone there, they score, that's how you score against Man United and it doesn't help when the manager then also thinks that you have to play with a single player in a central position and both the players
1: who are his partners have to be slightly ahead of that yeah the, so there's this mad thing whenever a catch United at the minute at times Tessa, where it looks like if you were to just write down when they've got the ball and when they're in action it almost looks like 3-1-6 yeah it is and it's this it's really really odd the distance that everyone they really get out there's no real play in between the lines there's no what I can't quite work out who, who it is who's meant to link a lot of this up there's basically three lads where one either whichever fullback's been left in the three might join the one a little bit then you've got the one and then everyone else appears to be a million miles away. And I'm, I'm just at times, I'm really, really surprised by it. It's confusing because it's it's definitely a, a tactic because yeah. we
3: do it a lot And the games that we haven't done it this season. We've played quite differently. So, for example, against Liverpool, we tried to scrap it after 10 minutes and then Dallow was inverting and sat alongside Amrabat, and it became a three and a two and a five. And then you've got a five behind the ball and a five ahead of the ball. I think... What we did last season is we did play with the three, the one and the six. But again, he ran out of legs on 60 minutes. But the player that we used to play alongside Casemiro mainly was Ericsson. And Ericsson's natural game was he would drop in and become a pivot partner for Casemiro. When we then progressed the ball, he would then push up into the half space. And then when we're kind of pushing teams back, he would attack that area. Of the left hand side late on. That's how we ended up getting, I think, ten assists in, in all competitions. And I think this season, because there hasn't been any Erickson, we've tried to play so many different players in that those positions. Funnily enough, the best players to play that position would be Maino. But he's wedded to Maino being a six because the other players who plays as as a six can't progress to play as much and they can't spin and turn on the half term as much. And then it's made McTominay become this box crashing Havertz twin where they both don't really contribute to anything but they're just there because they're tall they can help and set pieces and then it's meant Bruno's had to be the player who has to be the midfielder midfielder in the middle of the pitch and we know he's better in the final third so the balance is off and the first game United played against Tottenham we played in the same way but we had Casemiro as the six and we had Mount and Bruno and we had we actually won the ball, I think it was six times in the first half an hour and we could have scored a couple. I remember Rashford had a chance, Bruno had a header. But then the the issue is if you don't score when you're on top, you are porous. And my kind of issue is that because Ten Hag wants to play in this way, he's almost thinking, when I get my better players back, it's going to work. But from the evidence of the first couple of games, like against Wolves and against Tottenham, we were just porous. So I just think, are you just... Leaving your players out to dry and he's just kind of edging
1: closer to this is the end for Ten Hag, in my opinion. It's one where with them, it does feel as though the assessment source does start now with reference to what's gonna come at the end of the season. Like I don't I don't you might disagree. I don't see the mileage in doing it now if they're gonna do it. I you know, I I think it does become because the question becomes, who are you going to get? Who's making that decision? What are the ramifications of that decision? I think it's all pretty complex. It's not bad enough, is almost the line, uh, you know, here, where, you, for instance, they get a result in the end against Villa. That helps massively. They get the nil-nil at Anfield. That helps massively. they through to the next round of the cup. That helps. You know, all of this yeah. just sort of adds enough for there to be enough still going on. But what that does allow there to be an assessment. And I think the assessment is our players and manager. I don't think it is the, the idea of one, grou- one group altogether and I think he almost within that. I think all the players will be under some sort of assessment pr- uh, process if it is going to be different.
3: Yeah, and I think also on top of that, the club doesn't really have much money. I think one of the biggest issues is United spent um, a huge outlay last summer when we brought in like the likes of Antony and Casemiro, and the club is in a position where they're actually repaying credit on signing Antony, and all these reports have come out saying, you know, the Ajax valued him at twenty-five million. United are desperate, paying Casemiro, I think he's on 300 grand. Varane's on something similar. Sancho's on something similar. Martial's on 250. So it's a case of we need to clear all those, almost reset and restart and give the manager a fair chance with um, a structure and a recruitment system around him. But then the other issue is I think I've heard that Ten Hag wants to keep a bit of the power because apparently he has the power to veto some transfers which every manager should have a say in the transfers, but he shouldn't be the person to be saying yes or no, I don't believe, because clubs continue managers can easily go anytime. So if you have your philosophy built around one manager and that manager goes, then your whole club philosophy is lost. So I think Ten Hag will probably have to understand that he's almost going to have to go back to being a head coach if he's going to keep his role and not kind of interfering in upstairs matters. And, the people upstairs are going to have to be firm with them and say listen this is how it's going to roll and if you're not happy then we'll find someone else because it's almost a case of you can imagine united clear out six or seven bring in four or five next season and use some of the youngsters um similar to how chelsea have this season with less pressure, with a coach who just wants to be a coach. It's going really well. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the club improves in the long term vision, but in the short term, we look probably around the same where where we are. So it's it's a it's a funny one. I just hope if players are back for this game against Tottenham, he doesn't rush certain players
1: in. I think he just just tries to bed them in slowly. Uh, on Tottenham, Paul, it looks to me the league table's breaking down that way. You've got to be careful not to overstate it, but Tottenham have just got themselves set up in a way which is just they'll win, they'll win more than they don't. Uh, it's 20 league games, it's 12 wins. You know, I, I even don't think there's that much rhyme and reason to necessarily where a lot of these wins come. The, ball, the break of the ball is a big deal. This isn't me sort of, if anything, it's me praising the approach. I think there is a real sense of we keep doing what we do, the results come over a period of time and I, he seems wedded to that and I'm, you know, I, th- I think you can't argue with if Tottenham finished this season and they've played 34, sorry, 38 and they've, they've got 22, 23 wins, they'll almost certainly come in the top five.
4: Yeah, it's, 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 it's encouraging. I, I think what's more encouraging is that during a period after that Chelsea game where we were just decimated by injuries and suspensions and it's just been ongoing um, really up until Christmas um, that we managed to kind of stay In in that position in the table because it looked like we were going to fall away badly. I think we had four defeats in five um, and we were dropping like a stone, but like we've made a a, a really good comeback. I think we've actually turned that around to four wins out of five. Um, So, really, really impressive considering we were literally, you know, we've been playing with two, you know, full backs as our centre backs for a long time, you know, not for one game, for a while. Um, so you know the signing of uh, Dragerson um, couldn't have been come at a better time really and I've also heard that maybe um, Psycho's name sent her back for us Romero Romero. Um, that he might (laughs) that he he might he might um, he might be back as well Um, so we could actually have Van de Ven Romero and Draxler all available for the Man United game, which would be going from having none to three. Mm. Um, you know, supposedly top uh, centre packs would be great. I think with United, the, the two things I'm afraid of are that one, that United, all, with their pride, they always get up for the big games um, or what they consider to be uh, a big game uh, at home, um, and then also the individual aspect that although United aren't particularly cohesive as a team, they've got certain individuals like, you know, Fernandes and and Rashford that can hurt you with one moment of brilliance. But structurally, I think Tottenham are a lot further ahead down the line in a shorter space of time. You know, it's, it's quite amazing that we've actually got a really strong identity of play. We're brave in possession. We score goals from each position now. And you look at the strategy with the transfers, with Werner coming in, First thing was, I saw that. I think all of us were shocked when we saw that the next day in the papers or the, the, the media. Um, like anyone reads the newspapers anymore. <laughs> um, not way back in 1980 or 90 Get know? them
1: in the morning, yeah, flick to yeah, the yeah. back pages. Yeah, My yeah. god, team yeah. over. i just, I, just,
4: <laughs> I just had a proper reminiscence. Um, but yeah, nobody saw that coming. But if you look at the rationale behind it, it's obvious that their spurs, and I heard this recently actually, that there's no intention to replace out and out because mm. the whole strategy of the team is a completely different way of approaching it we're no longer going to be reliant on this one person it's about getting goals from everywhere and i mean everywhere and i think every player on in our first team has scored this season um which which underlines my point you've got wing backs that are, are willing to attack you know everyone in the midfield can score a goal everyone up front can, can score a goal and then the other thing is if we can get through this uh, after this game I think we've got a bit of a break until we play City in the cup uh, which is obviously a lovely draw (laughs) he says sarcastically Um, but if we get through that period and you get Madison back uh, and we get the guys back Son back and the guys back from AFCON we're going to have a serious squad man we're going to have a squad where I looked at it there's going to be six players that are probably not even going to get in the squad you know the likes of you know people that have been playing now, and the good thing is, when you get these players back, you won't have to rush them back because you have players that have been playing, so you can almost like ease those players back into it. There's no mad rush like we have to get them back because you know. So I think that we we could be in a really good position moving forward. I don't get carried away because we don't know how Verda's going to settle, we don't know how Dragerson's going to settle, but it's actually looking good.
0: I've been sat there thinking during this it's not it's not going to be perfect this but I feel like Spurs are on the verge of being or establishing themselves as that sort of other way of doing things which every league kind of has if you look at like Atletico Madrid sort of Leipzig kind of Napoli and the Atletico Madrid is one that jumped out to me most of all of their players seem to only have ever played for them they're committedly part of them their managers (laughs) only manage them and you can see how Son's not going to go elsewhere. He's going to play 700 times for you, and you can see how you can almost imagine that this this team here is going to do. It's going to be really successful. It's going to have some really really high watermarks, and some other times it's a bit fallow. But they're going to be consistently the same thing, and it's not going to be Man City light, Arsenal light. They're not going to try and get on to sort of geg and press in tight. They're not going to. They're just going to be this thing that is now Spurs, and you can see you can see the, the you can see the beginnings of it. And like you just touched on there, like. I can ju- I can just see it that sort of they'll always be there they'll always be doing something because they are a little bit different and they are going to be
4: when well, I look at the the signings that we made and uh, in Vicario Idoji Van de Ven, Madison I think those those four in particular and SAR if you had Saar into that as well Poro. if Poro look at the values right. if you look at the market value of all those players now if they were on the if they went into yeah. the open market in that short space of time, their, their price their values would have would have you know i heard that the reason why sar signed a new contract is that he was getting offers from big clubs around the world yeah. this guy's 20 21 years old i've said it i said it the first time i saw him that he just reminds me and i keep saying it of young vieira yeah, he does. He does everything that vieira mm-hmm. does you know um and he's only going to get better so to tie him down for on a long-term contract is is a good thing as well so I think that the scouting system um, are, I think it's parity, see that's supposed to be banned Um, the work that he did prior to when he was banned and the work that he's doing as a consultant, which he obviously is now Allegedly, um, is, is actually just rea- having a big old consult, yeah, rea- <laughs> reaping some rewards. So, that's allegedly
0: for sure. breaking the law, a bit good.
1: Uh, if where, where, where a good old solid consult <laughs> is concerned, <laughs> uh, I've got one stat the,
3: just before the athletes were really
1: funny on that, by the way. They wrote the story about the fact that he's working with Levy, and then the fellow who wrote the story felt the need he had to tweet. and I wondered if someone got onto him to say, to be clear, he is allowed to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it was just really, really funny. In case someone got in touch, go on,
3: yeah, the last thing. So I was looking at shot-creating actions per team, per player. And the number one player in the Premier League for shot-creating action. So that's like an action that leads to a shot on target or a shot on goal. It's James Madison with average of 9.1 per game. Wow. And he's only played, I think it's nine, his average is 9.6 90s because he's been injured for that long. So you can imagine if he still played how how far ahead
1: he is of everybody yeah. else. There we are. Uh, Excellent stuff. Uh, Who's going to win?
3: I'm going to go for a cheeky Spurs win. I think United win only because I think Spurs will play into the hands. And that's the only time Ten Hag's tactics seem to
1: work. I also think United will win uh, in part because of the same thing. And I think that also. At some point, the Royale Davis thing just goes a game too far. I mean, there's been a couple where they've not quite got. You know, I can just imagine that suddenly you're saying, I have to tell you what, they've had a tough night.
4: And it's perfectly reasonable. Well, some Davis can't play because he's hamstrung. So
1: he's going to get. He's going to possibly go Van der Ven next to him and probably bring the others in slowly as well. It'll
4: be Van der Ven and maybe
1: Romero. All oh, right. Know? Well, if it isn't Romero, then I might change it. If I see the team and it's <laughs> Romero and Van der Ven, I might change <laughs> my mind. Any, any
4: Davies? Um, I think Werner will be on the bench yeah. will be, I think they might both be on the bench yeah, so but I. if Romero's not fit then the, the centre back will start dragging yeah some. I think so I'm going to
0: go 2-2 two, two. I think United will be ahead and then I think they'll they'll capitulate just through constant spursiness and not that kind the, the new kind
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, time, the kind of people are excited about to listen it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much to Chris uh, to Tezzer and to Paul uh, Tom and Phil uh, it has been your Friday show there was only five games and yet there was this much of it
3: oh.